G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Audio Podcast pre-round 14 edition. Of course, we're in the middle of the buy rounds at the moment, another six games this week. Bit of a challenging time for the AFL, of course, with other events taking centre stage and I speak namely of the World Cup, which so far has been a ripper, as I say, uh, very... Uh, a very good welcome. No, some, you know what I mean. G'day, Finey. Uh, g'day, Rowan. Yeah, the World Cup took a turn for the better when uh, Optus handed over the broadcasting rights to SBS for the rest of the month, and at least the group stages will be shown in full. So I'm now hooked nightly, trying to space sleeps, and saw actually saw a couple of ordinary games overnight and uh, now I'm tired and ready to sleep in preparation for Australia Denmark if you know the score don't tell me I, I had one of those experiences the other night I was about to trudge off to bed at uh, you know half past one or something in the morning and I watched five minutes of Germany Mexico and it was just that was one of the best games I've seen in years. It was absolutely sensational. So it's been, anyway, we're not here to talk soccer. Uh, I did say it's a challenging time for the AFL in terms of, you know, only six games on last week, six games this week, three playing days over each weekend with only one game. So they need to be good. Um, They've been okay. I think the Geelong-Richmond game last week wasn't bad. But a bit of news uh, coming out of the weekend's games. Injuries have been a pretty uh, major subplot, I I reckon, so far this year. And a couple of big ones this week. Let's start with Eddie Betts, done his hamstring, out for a month. I reckon that's just about the death knell for the Crows. And what is maybe... It's the death knell for the Crows, but what is the future for Eddie Betts? He was asked whether or not rumours about him wanting to return to Victoria and leave the Crows were true, and I can't say that his response was emphatically denial. And now this injury, which, you know, hamstring injuries can stretch from four weeks to cotton wool, I just wonder what the future is for Eddie Betts, who is, you know, he's an ageing star as it is and has been a little problematic at Adelaide this season. Well, and clearly uh, a subtext there or underneath this whole thing is this... School uh, camp. The the camp, which um, I, I can't help but wonder, you know, had they had fortunes worked out better on the field and they'd been okay on the injury front, whether we would have heard of it. I mean, winning's a great sort of band-aid, isn't it? But uh, I read a really strong column by uh, Warren Treadray in the Adelaide Advertiser yesterday, basically saying that they'd completely stuffed it up. The football department has uh, completely mishandled everything and he named names, you know, he named coach Don Pike, football manager Brett Burton, um, the fitness guy's been copying plenty of heat. Um, 
pretty small town. Uh, <laughs> if I was Treaders, I'd be uh, buckling up for the reaction to that. But uh, it's, it's been an absolute disaster, hasn't it? Most derided camp since Gitchy Gitchy Goony Goony Wawa. That was, so, was that the, the Scouts? No, that was the <laughs> camp on uh, Get Smart. The oh, okay. Chaos Camp. Of course. But <laughs> <laughs> the, it's funny because we're getting snippets from the camp. You know, we're he- we're getting sort of rumours and hearing that the Indigenous players were particularly put out by certain elements of the camp. I mean, I just want to see the full movie. You know, well, it's interesting the way that the... Somebody tell me the whole story. <laughs> it, it, well, it's interesting the way the reports, um, they're still snippets, but they're emerging more regularly. Correct. We first heard about this back in March and it was sort of like, oh yeah, interesting, move on. And then, you know, once they started losing, sort of someone brought it up again, and now it's almost on a on a daily basis. But, I mean, it just appears that the the mob that they um, hooked up with, you know, like if you're going to, you're going to, it's the sort of thing, it just sounds so 1970s, the whole thing, the way, the sort of stuff that went on. And Wake the, you up at four in the, that, you know, that sort of. Except it's funny though. You don't let us sleep. Wake up. Go back to sleep. Well, it's funny. <laughs> Adam Kearney, uh, spoke to Adam Kearney on SEN a few months back about a camp he did when he first turned up. So we're t- talking about like 2003 or something. But the, the Bulldogs players were, you know, it was only in the Dandenongs or something, but they were driven out middle of the night and put like sort of kilometres apart from each other. And they had to stand up. They weren't allowed to sit down or, or go to sleep or whatever. And, you know, this sort of stuff. I mean, it's... It just reminds me of my school camps, which were not intentionally team building or character building. They were just... Our school had camps in Ballarat in a in a former airfield, and it was just cold. The food was terrible. Sleepless nights were the were de rigueur. None of them planned by the school, by the way. This was just mismanagement. Well, the, uh, yeah, and the the extra um, minus being you don't even get to sort of uh, raid the girls' dormitory halfway through the night, as we used to do on our school camps. Yeah, if, I it, mean, it, 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 all of that, all of all of the pain of our school camps <laughs> were forgiven. In, in fact, I, I, I've got to tell this story. What, your first pash? Uh, no, 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 no. It's more embarrassing than that. At grade six camp, we went to uh, Lake Epilock and uh, the boys spent all night planning this hit on the girls' dormitory for like 3 a.m. or whatever. So we bust into the dormitory and we've all got our, p- our pyjamas on, you know, and um, I'm... Um, smashing away with a pillow at at some girl, and uh, I was doing it so vigorously, my pajama bottom spontaneously <laughs> fell down. <laughs> How's that for an Gee, Carl liked that one. You're not listening to a thing we're saying, are you, Carl? I oh, know he's pretending he's. Anyway, that uh, could have scarred me for life. It didn't. Have <laughs> How about the girl? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, um, actually, no. She was quite cool about it. Fortunately. Um, yeah, so Adelaide in a world of pain, and as far as the flag goes, you reckon, uh, well, probably even finals, they're done and dusted. Um, another one I wanted to put up there quickly is this, and I found the whole thing a bit tedious, but the instances of it have uh, kept going, umpire contact. So uh, it appears that a deputation of umpires actually went to the AFL and said, we don't like the way... This is working out. It's ruining our relationships with the players. And uh, we had, last two weeks, we've had four cases of umpire contact. There was yes. Dusty Martin. There was Robbie Gray. 
Um, there was uh, Jack Steele. And who was I mean, the there's been a few the Sam Day, I think. David Swallow, another one. Well, that, that was round eight. There were three in one week Sam yeah. Day and the two Kurnow brothers. Yeah, that's right. And one Kurnow went. I think it all started with Hawkins. Yeah, yeah and that was seven. a legitimate suspension. Because, uh, no, I agree with that. You know, that was demonstrative. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and, and everything is, thereafter seemed unlucky. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? Particularly the, uh, the Willie Rioli one, where he got fined a thousand because it was deemed careless, but yeah. he basically he patted the umpire on the bum, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, we can, surely we can show a bit of common sense with this stuff, can't we? No, we can't. Well, why not? Because, Are you being sarcastic? Or no, serious? we can't, because there's been no common sense shown, and unfortunately, once it gets into the public arena, you see, Geelong supporters and Carlton supporters aggrieved that their men were suspended get on to social media, they get on to talk back into, you know, Fill every crevice possible, calling for, you know, some sort of. Um, uh, bl- they call for blood in, in the search of some sort of what they see seek is justice, and that is, you know, there's no margins here. Is touching an umpire wrong? Yes or no? But it's not a black or white case at all, and the AFL have let this meander. Now we get Dustin Martin fined fifteen hundred. Probably, you know, one that could be looked at. Did you think? Well, the umpire didn't even remember the incident. I, I realise that. <laughs> but now we we ask the question. Surely that has to be a guide. After Fife was let off on a couple of matters before finally being suspended this year, the question is raised, and it's one that does need to be answered, and that is: Are we worried about Brownlow Medal Night sometimes when we? Uh, handing out suspensions? Oh, well, I think, you know, I mean, if anything like that is going on, it's purely at a subconscious level, I think. And I don't, you know, that's probably no different to how it's always been, really. But um, I I just think, I mean, the AFL said they're going to sort of clean this up. And surely, well, you just, you don't make it completely black and white. So, because they're... There has to be context. So if, uh, I mean, you know, in the current sort of climate, say um, the umpire is responsible for banging into a player and the umpire says, oh, sorry, mate, and the bloke just touches him on the shoulder and goes, no worries, mate. Let's... I mean, that he would go as well. And that's yeah. patently absurd, isn't it? Yeah. Look, having umpired, I would have been touched on many occasions but never in a demonstrative or threatening manner. And, and never yeah. did I consider anything untoward. And there's an obvious difference, isn't there? I mean, if you can't see the difference between what Tom Hawkins did in his one and what Willie Rioli did, you, you, yeah. you're simple. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's... Um, I mean, that's why we've got somebody out there adjudicating on these matters. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, we, part of the reason for going to the match review officer was to say there was a bit more flexibility and the whole thing wasn't so rigid and this appears a classic case of completely rigid inflexible um interpretation of the rules and you know our afl rules have more room for interpretation than just about any rules of any other sport in the world so why not in terms of um uh the judiciary as well Uh, it doesn't make sense to me so it needs to be fixed up um, let's, we, I talked about injuries off the top. We mentioned Eddie Betts, but can't go past 
The news yesterday, um, sorry, yesterday being Wednesday, Josh Kennedy, hairline fracture of the leg. Yeah. Um, obviously very One to three hairline. weeks. Yeah, I know. It seems a, seems a short spell for a broken leg, but uh, obviously pretty minor. But coupled with the absence of Jack Darling, um, big ramifications there for the Eagles. It means uh, I had a look uh, yesterday. Those two are responsible for exactly one-third of their total goals this year. So 57? Eh? 57 yeah, between them? Yeah, out of 169, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it means a complete restructure. Uh, they've brought in Fraser McInnes for the Essendon game. Um, they've dropped, dropped uh, Jared Brander, though, interestingly. They've got uh, Locke here up there, of course, so he's going pretty well. But um, they might have to look at, you know, a sort of a smaller setup that sort of focuses around, say, a Lacroix, and a couple of smalls in Ryan, Ryan or Rioli. Yeah. The other thing um, they could do, I mean, it's not like they're not without options. I mean, I'd play McGovern up there for. Well, that's one option. Although you know, you risk sort of robbing Peter to pay. Yeah, they've got Barras down back. Well, he's not back though. This he's week. not playing no. yet. Oh, well, that's going to be stymie that move. And the other one they could think about, I guess, is um, getting Nat Nui to play up forward more and letting Lysette sort of do more of the ruck work. So, I mean, they're, look, they're fortunate in the amount of tools that they have. Yep. But, uh, I don't know, do you think it leaves the Eagles a bit vulnerable? Yeah, of course it does. So, I wouldn't have considered Essendon, even if one of those forwards was playing, because it just structures up in a manner that I think is fairly comfortable for the Eagles. But no, I, I now will, will, you know, I'll consider Essendon as a chance to go over there and upset them on Thursday night, tonight, for the reason being, whatever forward line they go with, it'll be foreign to how they have played this season, mm. and that will require a different mindset from the players who are distributing the ball to the forward line. Well, that's a good point, because their whole uh, game style, uh, they are the, I, I can't avoid using this, they are the most kickingest team in the AFL this year. Because they, they you know, they have hit up forwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're looking they're looking to drive it to the hit up forward, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. No, they've they've been a long kicking team and quick delivery into two very able key forward targets, neither of whom are there this week or won't be for a month. So uh it's a challenge for them. Um you know, helps having the first one of these games at home, but how they get through the next month, I suspect, will again be a factor in um, in a lot of people's minds about establishing their premiership bona fides. You know, if they drop a few now, you can just see people going, oh, I don't know about the Eagles, they're still a bit dodgy. So what will we be left with then, Richmond and Sydney? Um, yeah, until someone emerges from 7th or 8th to win the flag. Port Adelaide, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> After the events of two years ago, side coming from seventh, you just you can't discount it. Absolutely, pies. You know, right at the moment, if you're doing a a form ladder, not just based on wins and losses, but actual, you know, how confidently sides are playing, pies would be right up there. So, uh, just it, just on that, the one team that seems to be almost honest in their performance in the last two or three years given that they're decent but they have limitations, is Geelong. It seems as though they can only go so far. Well, I wrote a, I wrote a column exactly to that point for Footyology on Monday, which was about, you know, I, I rate them and I think they're pretty good, but there's a, 
a consistency of falling short of the mark and has been for a number of seasons now. They've lost to the three teams above them on the ladder, um, West Coast, Sydney and Richmond. Not by a lot, but they have lost. Uh, in all cases, they've been sort of overwhelmed in, in final quarters. What's really interesting, and I know you're big on this one, is that um, the inflation of their record home versus away. So since the start of 2014, they've won 83% of their games at the Cattery and 57% away from there. Their finals record since the start of 2014 is 2-5. Yep. Um, what was the other big stat there? Oh, on the MCG since the start of 2014, they're 16 wins out of 30, so just over 50%. So they seem a significantly lesser side away from home. And uh, I think the bottom few players in that 22 continue to leave them a bit short of the mark relative yep. to their opposition. Yeah, I agree. And you want names? Well, from last weekend, you'd be talking about Jordan Murdoch, Zach Guthrie, Corey Gregson, uh, someone like Lincoln McCarthy, who's now injured again. Yeah. but The uh, Ruckman, whoever it is. Yeah, On yeah. a consistent basis. Yeah, He yeah. was all right last week, Reece Stanley. For yeah, his so it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's not a place you really want to be, is it? You, you, you know, that sort of being uh, good but not quite good enough is uh, sort of betwixt and between in, in terms of success in the AFL. Anyway, interesting poser for the Cats, and we'll see how they emerge from that, along with the injury-struck Eagles, the hapless Crows and a whole lot of other sides jostling for position in the top eight. Time to move on. On Footyology, Media Watch. Ah, yes, the uh, much-awaited, anticipated Media Watch where uh, a few of our colleagues, without admitting it, tune in to see if we're giving them a bit of a kicking or a caning. Uh, always plenty of material to work with, funnily enough. But uh thought you'd kick us off this week, Finey, and you've got a bit of a bee in your bonnet about commentators and how they talk about uh, decisions made during games. Yeah, I do. And I'm I'm going to give a pass, a free pass to the commentator that actually um, this week sort of uh, caught my eye and really raise my ire and the reason I'm not going to name him is because it would be unfair to name one commentator when I think over the period most commentators have actually been guilty of this so there was an incident in a game on last weekend and if I say the game again that'll give it away because it was a TV commentator and uh, the player actually decided himself he there was a free kick but the teammate of the play with the ball took the advantage and two steps later was caught with the ball and the decision holding the ball was legitimate and paid against that player. Now, the commentator said that was a strange decision, not only by the player, but also by the umpire. And then he watched it in replay and said, yeah, oh, gee, where did the umpire pick that one from? Now, first of all, if it was a strange decision by the player to take advantage, then it's not a strange decision by the umpire to call advantage. So they both can't have made the wrong decision. In fact, the umpire made the correct decision. The player clearly uh, took two steps with ball in hand as an advantage play and then got trapped, incorrect disposal, bad luck, buddy. Now... And it wasn't Buddy. Now, this 
undermines umpiring not only at the highest level but at all levels because this this and there is a real call especially I find Rowan amongst special comments men to always err on the side of the player once again this this old boys club of past players sticking with current players it's illogical by the way because in siding with the player who's freed against you're almost going against the player who was impeded or 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 should be the subject of the free but especially in big decisions like you know heavy bumps and they're always the special comments men generally angling towards something that won't result in a look at by the Max Review panel or by Michael Christian. And it just undermines the umpire's authority because always it's the umpire that's the villain in this. Yeah, it's too fine. many frees, too, you know, too picky, too many frees. Brian Taylor does it always, and I will name Brian because he's, he's often telling Ray to shut up. I mean, he just plays to the common denominator umpire-hating fan out there who then goes to local football and spreads the virus. No, it's very... I mean, umpires are really soft targets. I mean, I've often thought, sort of watching incidents that subsequently get talked about, I've often thought, as I've watched them, gee, I wonder what, uh, listening to the commentary, I wonder what the umpires think when a commentator rips into them about something and they're wrong because they haven't understood the rules. It must be infuriating. It is the absolute... It is the number one bugbear of umpires. You know, having having spent time with Steve McBurney and Derek Humphrey Smith, and I just know that umpires just cannot that when they make a mistake, they're up for the criticism. But they, it's so unfair, and they really rail rail against, I should say, being criticised when they're in the right. Well, you talked because there's no comeback. You talked about the special uh, comments, guys, and. I sort of immediately had this mental picture, which is like when you're a play-by-play caller, and there's you know you've got to draw that distinction. You have to do a certain amount of homework and preparation in terms of the numbers and and you know new players and whatever, because you know that you will be talking about every player on the ground at some stage. When you're a special comments guy, and and obviously they tend to be the more fated players with the greater records and whatever, don't you think there's this sort of... You always get this sense that... And not all of them, by any means, but some of them, that, that they're not going to be sitting there boning up on a young player who's coming into the side. They're just There's always this sort of inner arrogance about, oh, well, you know, I've played 200 games, everyone thinks I know my stuff, you know, I don't need to learn anything. I reckon they do that with the rules. There's an incredible amount of people, and always has been players, former players, whatever, in the AFL uh, family who don't actually know the rules. Well, in my 14 years at SEN, each of those years' AFL seasons was preceded by a visit from the AFL umpire briefing. And some of the players turned up regularly. Dermy was always there. Yeah. I think of um, Scott Lucas always there. Yeah. Nick Del Santo, their pen, you know, notebook in hand, always. Yeah. Dressed willing, as an umpire. Always willing to, no, just always keen to learn. You know, yeah. Nick Del Santo really um, was as prepared for his media career as he was probably for his football career. Another one too, different station, but uh, first 
name I always think of in terms of really doing their homework, Matthew Lloyd. He's brilliant at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and, go and on. he was at SEN as well, and yeah. the same sort of thing. Uh, others, and again, people can sort of go to their own memory banks and, and try and remember some of the footballers who've passed through SEN less likely to turn up or simply didn't turn up. And you know what? It showed during the season because the information you would receive during those probably one, two-hour chats, including question time, were the subtle changes in umpiring interpretations that were all the, made all the difference to decision-making through the season. But sometimes, um, you know, I, I can't cite a specific example, but there'll be times during commentary of games where a decision happens and um, the commentators will actually ask themselves on air, well, what, what's the rule about that? You know, as if it's sort of beneath them to even know, you know, like, oh, I shouldn't have to know the rules, you know. <laughs> like, what? where's that come from? Yeah, look, again... If the umpire, if, if commentators want to buy into the rights or wrongs of umpiring decisions, then they have to be absolutely certain that they're in the right. Yeah. That's, a, that's not, it's not a caveat, it's a fact. And unless, unless certain that they know the rule and that they've seen that rule wrongly applied, then stay out of it. Yeah, well, unfortunately, in an era where we can't even count on players' names being called correctly, I think that one sort of uh, the horse might have bolted on that one. Um, all right. You know what? If they don't know, if they're unsure about the decision, defer to Jack Dyer. Oh, if you don't mind, umpire. <laughs> or say, I'm not sure. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's another thing worthy of discussion. Why do so many... Um, people, you know, in the footy media or any media, really, why are they so paranoid about saying, I don't know? Because it's sure as hell better than fudging uh, an explanation and being wrong, I would have thought. Well, we're getting a, quite a bit of that with sort of goal line decisions and, um, yeah. You know, there was an interesting one the other day which was not picked up by the umpire, not picked up by the commentator. You know, if you try and force, you know, there's a different tolerance for knocking the ball through from behind as for out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you try to rush a behind and you Miss rush and it, it goes out it of bounds. into the behind post, yeah. you then become liable for intentional out of bounds. Yeah. It was not paid by the umpire and no comment by the commentary. And I thought, you know what? That is... Um, that's you're, the old dumb and dumber. You're not aware of the nuances uh, between the width of the goalpost. Yeah, no, that's a uh, no, fair call. Um, or I want to throw uh, one up there too, and this might happen a couple of times over the next few weeks, but you and I are both watching plenty of the World Cup, and one of the uh, bonuses of watching the World Cup is you get to hear the commentary of Martin Tyler, who uh, an outstanding commentator. And of, he's calling for Australia. Yeah, yeah, an outs outstanding commentator who, um, let alone being the best in soccer, is, I'd argue, probably the best in the world. There may be a, a Trugo commentator or a bog snorkeling commentator I'm unaware of, but uh, Tyler is fantastic. So he was calling the game last night. I was watching um, Portugal and Morocco, and uh, it wasn't 
great game, but um, a bit stiff the Moroccans, I thought. Anyway. Now, Portugal f- scored in the fourth minute. Who yep. scored? Ronaldo. No, 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 no. Surely you've been taking Lucy Zellick's pronunciation. Cristiano Ronaldo. We just have to defer to Cristiano Ronaldo. It's all soft. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Hey, do you like the just on the coverage of football? Don't hijack this. Okay, no, go no, on. I just want to. No, well, it's sort of media watch. Yeah, yeah. Extended. Right. Is that a little temple to Les Murray? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Three Les Murray books. Yeah. Yeah. Don't desecrate the temple, Fine. I'm not desecrating the temple. It's just you know, it's it's an homage to Les. Yeah. So be it. Uh, it's inter- it, It's nice. Good. Okay. I detect a hint of sarcasm there. Uh, not, not sarcasm, just, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, he looms large at SBS um, every time Lucy pronounces. Well, better, the na- better him loom, looming large than Craig Foster to be quite Well, well every time Lucy pronounces the name of a foreign player, Les, Les's spirit lives on. Anyway, to uh, get back to the point I'd barely raised. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Martin Tyler, you know, we could talk about why he's so good, but every time I listen to him now, or, or any soccer commentator really, I, I just cannot help but compare it with AFL commentary and this cult of personality that has enveloped AFL commentary. And I was thinking, if ever a commentator deserved to have a narrative spun around them and sort of be lionised and, and us get to know them as people or whatever, it's Martin Tyler. But I, I'd reckon 95% of the soccer-loving public would have no idea what Martin Tyler looks like, have no idea the circumstances in which he lives. He may live in a, a yurt in in country, uh, you know, uh, in the on the moors or something. I, I don't know. You wouldn't know. Because it's never about him, it's about the game. And he calls the game brilliantly, and he, his knowledge is incredible. But we never turn it into this thing about, oh, great call, Tiles, you know, this sort of stuff, and trying endlessly to promote him as some sort of character. Now, there's heaps of examples of that, not just in soccer, but other sports. Great commentators. And when you talk about why they're great commentators, you inevitably talk about how they call a game, their knowledge of the game and their experience and their passion. What What is it? Why is it that the programmers, and I stress programmers because it's coming from them or the producers, what is this thing about our commentators have to be personalities and we have to get to know them as people? Why isn't it enough for our game just to have someone calling who obviously knows their stuff and calls it with passion, and that's all we need to know. Where, where's that come from, and why do these people think that that's going to um, in somehow sort of draw more viewers in? Because it doesn't. It puts them off. Look, I guess the, it started with, they say, Harry Beitzel on radio, then Rex took it up a notch and was really popular. Triple M had a style that became synonymous with their blokey coverage of football. And then budding commentators had to choose whether they were sort of rank and file or, you know, had more to offer. So Dennis Cometti, without selling his soul for humour, 
chose, you know, the quick-witted turn of phrase, some of which were off the cuff, others may be implanted into the core, others, again, fighting for oxygen, maybe felt that they needed to, to bring something to the party because Bruce had his special and his gadrilers. The gravel in the voice, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and all the ones that seemed to, you know, rise to the top were not just silent achievers, quietly performed. So what we end up with is a form of commentary for our game that doesn't exist in other sports. I mean, Americans might be over the top and in your face and trash talking and everything that we associate with razzle-dazzle, but listen to their commentary and it is very much respectful. respectful, that's the word, respectful and almost demure. Well, you you mentioned Bruce. Bruce is actually a good uh, gauge of how it's changed, I reckon, because if you listen to Bruce circa mid-90s to now, it's almost like two completely different callers, which solidifies for me that this is definitely an explicit direction coming from above. Yeah, but it's still an individual trying to trying to um, further their own careers. I, they all started, by the way, doing VFA together. So you can actually listen. You can get tapes if you want to hunt them down. Rex, Eddie, and Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a normal commentary. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, there's no yibbity yibbitas in yeah, that. Yeah. Um, interesting. So Brian Taylor. Remember, we mentioned that three weeks ago he was doing the Sydney game and became obsessed with Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. So he did Sydney on the weekend, last weekend. Yeah. And he just called him Lloyd. Uh, hang on, who do they play again? West Coast. Yeah. And he must have said it at least once because I think I tweeted something about it. <laughs> but I did notice he, uh, during the game actually, he seemed to pull back. Yeah, he just became Lloyd. So I wonder if that was the power of social media finding. It'd be great to think that it was, but perhaps that's giving Channel 7 executives too much credit. Well, the... the wouldn't I? Don't know if it occurs to any of these executives, and I'm, I'm convinced they wouldn't listen to this. But uh, you know, maybe someone would like to pass on a message. Have you ever thought, Mister Sydney Executive? You know, uh, snort too much illicit substance? No, I didn't oh, say that. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that's that. Rowan Conley. I'm I'm up for any job, by the way. Um, <laughs> what job? There I'll, I'll be your toady. Um, and keep those things secret. Has it ever occurred to these people that perhaps the public would become more interested in their callers and more respectful and they'd uh, develop a more iconic status uh, through the enormous amounts of respect engendered via their calling of the game and knowledge of the game? It's it's sort of this, you know, this is a sort of misguided thinking, finally, that has led a whole generation of TV programmers to think that former Footballers are comedians. And boy, has that taken us into some dark places in TV history. Yeah, it has. It's cost some people their... Um, well, it's, it's limited the longevity of certain very wise football heads and former champions to a couple of years and then, you know, sort of trotted out whenever something um, stupid is required. I really feel for Doug Hawkins in that respect. One of the great footballers of all time with a brilliant football brain, but the footy show saw him best as, you know, court jester 
and he was never able to regain that lost ground. But even that's got worse, hasn't it? Because, I mean, Dougie and... Oh, I agree, couldn't agree more, but Dougie and Billy Brownless or whatever, they'd have sort of token court gesture appearances. Yeah, now they're with, in, with a big wheel at a football club. But somewhere. now there are entire programs based on the premise that former footballers are funny. I don't think they're very funny. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's not a a great show, is it? I I don't know. (laughs) I won't watch it. I don't watch it. Oh, there you go. Don't we do do our TV podcast when that's on? Uh, Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying, well, that's why I don't watch it. Um, all right, well, uh, I've completely ruined any prospects I had of getting a gig in... Uh, on the bounce. ...televisual media on the bounce. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, uh, let's move on with our next segment. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio, fewer games, so they're going to be even punchier. Let's start at Opta Stadium in Perth, uh, 8.10pm Eastern Time, Thursday evening, West Coast taking on Essendon. Uh, West Coast, big challenge for them without their two key targets, Jack Darling and now Josh Kennedy, who has a hairline fracture of the leg. Essendon, uh, terrible record in Perth. Finally, they've lost their last seven visits to Perth, even at this new ground early this season, although it did give them a bit of reconnaissance. Bombers been okay last month, three wins out of four, two of them on the road. So they don't go in without some hope. How do you see it? Yeah, well... As I mentioned earlier on, on this very podcast, it's not so much the personnel that's missing, even though that is a major blow. You pointed out one third of their goals are being kicked by Kennedy and Darling. It's the different mindset that the West Coast midfield will have to take in kicking the ball into the forward line. And I liken it to a golfer who's a good putter. You see, if you're a really good putter, you can just put the ball in the heart of the green. So kicking the ball forward this year has been a matter of putting it to a decent spot in the forward line and Darling or Kennedy can make you look good. But without Darling or Kennedy, it's like you've lost your ability to putt and you've really got to hit it at the hole. So you're really going to have to pinpoint your passes. I'm going to go for the upset. I'm going to go for Essendon. I just think it's a big adjustment that they're going to have to make. Yeah, no, look, I I think the Bombers certainly not without some hope, but uh, Eagles, they're pretty good in Perth. Um, It's the crowd, it's the emotion. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this much, that Essendon's run and gun game, they just have to play with daring do because, you know what, the ground will be firm and it'll suit that style of play. Yeah. No, they've been using their uh, their pace a lot better recently. Uh, no, like I said, I'll give them a, a show, but I, I can't tip against West Coast in Perth. So, Egos, uh, Egos, Eagles, that could be a Freudian slip. Eagles narrowly. Uh, Friday night in Adelaide, Port Adelaide taking on the Demons. Interesting one. Port are certainly gathering... Momentum and the demons were, but really put back on their heels uh, with a pretty ordinary performance against the Pies on the big stage. Queen's birthday, um, they've been able to contemplate that for the last what week and a half or so. How do you think they'll recover from it? Flying? Me tip them Melbourne. Melbourne have performed over, over recently not badly in Adelaide. Yeah. You know, they've they've had that good win against the Adelaide Crows. Yeah. Was that last year? Yeah. That was a very good win. Yeah. And Port Adelaide, just when they've been 
using an old-fashioned term, gay deceivers. Just when you think that they've, you know, topped the, topped the, you know, crested the hill, and a, a, one of the big boys, Port tend to let you down. Now people can say the same of Melbourne, but I actually believe Melbourne's. Um, Star is still on the rise. Yeah, disappointing effort against Collingwood, but they've been up for quite a while, Melbourne. I, I think that week of contemplation and body recuperation will give them a real run at Port Adelaide. And when you run hard at Port Adelaide and go at them, they're a nut that can be cracked, and I think Melbourne can crack that nut. I, th- I think everything you say there is spot on. Um, however, I go back to... What I was thinking pre-season, I, I put a lot of eggs in the port basket. I think they're starting to come good, but they will know this themselves. This is a game that if they, they are to have that uh, sort of premiership credibility, they cannot drop. Um, and I think this game could be the making of them finally. I think the Demons will come at them really hard, but I think Port's starting to play some really good footy now. I think that midfield particularly really starting to tick over. Ollie Wine's been outstanding. Uh, Chad Wingard playing in midfield's been really important to them. Um, and uh, Tom Rockliffe now jumping on board as well. He's really come good in a big way in the last few weeks. So uh, Port, for me, at home, must win, I think, to have that flag credibility. So I'm going for Port. Uh, let's move on to Saturday. Oh, God, this could be ugly. Uh, Hawthorne playing Gold Coast uh, down at Aurora Stadium. Oh, sorry, University of Tas, whatever it is, in Launceston anyway. Um, God, could this be a massacre? Uh, Suns having... Well, I don't think it will be a massacre. Really? Yep. Okay, why not? Well, just Hawthorne don't have massacre in them of late. Gee, they were pretty... They did a reasonable number on the Crows. What did they win by? Oh, 10 goals, was yeah. Yeah, I mean they had them at you know they had them at at um, absolutely their behest. When I say massacre, I, I'm, that's You're the sort of yeah. Goal. I'm talking about a fifty to seventy point result here. But Gold Coast going into this game, what's the only thing worse than losing by a hundred points is what they did the week after, and that is to be up by forty against St Kilda and lose. So, yeah. So they got they got no they've got they are a shadow of. Anything like the side that gave gave us a bit of uh, encouragement at the start of the year. That's two years in a row that they've done that. Mm. Can't blame the Com games for everything. You know what? They're rubbish. Yeah, well, they won three out of the first five last year. I think it was the first three. Um, yeah, there's not much resilience among that playing group at all. Uh, Hawks looking really starting to come good. Have a fantastic run home too. They only play... Um, two sides in the top eight in their last 10 games. So very, very well set up for a crack, not only at finals, but something beyond that. I think they're a real uh, dark horse in flag terms, to be honest. Uh, really starting to play some good footy. I know where you're coming from. I mean, this could be a game where they sort of put it to bed and then cruise a bit. And but, they tend um, to do that a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, however, they will win handsomely. Yep. Let's move on. Twilight game, Saturday, 4.35 at the Gabba. Brisbane playing GWS. Real danger game, this one. Danger that nobody knows it's on, that people forget <laughs> that it ever happened. Yeah, that's good. That, I mean, f- bad enough that it exists, let alone during a bye round at 4.35 on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, 
people will find out the result of this game and be shocked, not by the score, but that it happened. Brisbane won't win, but you know what? They'll be thankful that they've got those multicoloured seats. Because uh, they do give the impression of more people at the ground than there actually are. That's true. An ethnically diverse crowd, too, because there's dark and white. Yeah, that's, and that's just a strange seats. thing. You can't work <laughs> no, out true. who's there and who isn't. Well, it's sure, but it's the tarps that Port used to hang over, over the outer at Amy Stadium. Yeah. Um, yeah, you talk, you mentioned gay deceivers before. I think Brisbane's become a bit like that playing at the Gabba because they keep they sort of be close but no cigar. And come the last home game against Essendon, it wasn't even close in the finish. So, isn't it about this time of the year that the curator bans them from running on the pitch? Oh, because there's an Adele concert or something. No, oh, because there's a test match in five months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves his footy. Yeah, the, he was uh, big, the, big the, AFL the, man, Gabby Curator. Yeah. Uh, I think he hung up his. Um, what do you hang up if you're a curator? Your fork. <laughs> yeah, hung up, his, hung up his mower. Uh, you, um, know, you know, and, and handed the job to a more radical <laughs> Queenslander. Well, yeah, we should probably actually talk about this game. Um, GW, actually, I think he handed it to an ex-Melbourneian. GWS have really come good the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, back in town, I think this is uh, a confidence builder for them. I think maybe some early resistance, but uh, they'll end up... Still got plenty of players out, but enough there to get the job done. I think they'll win pretty well. Saturday night, Etihad Stadium, 7.25pm, the hapless and virtually playerless now uh, Western Bulldogs uh, taking on North Melbourne, um, who've had a break. Uh, Bulldogs haven't had a break and certainly would have wished they had because they lost in the one fell swoop, and it is fell for anyone who says it's foul. It's fell. Um, Eastern Wood... Lucas Webb, Tom Boyd, Jack McRae. So there you go. Uh, it's sort of about the uh, the whole kit bag of decent players for the doggies. Uh, how do you see it panning out? Just on fell swoop, which AFL club... Prefer something on the game, but yeah, go on. Yeah, you know, if you heard a commentator, oh, it would have been 20 years ago, say fell swoop, referring to a player whose surname was Fell. Shane Fell. Yeah. What team's that? I uh, played at Sydney. Yep. Great. Thanks. Uh, great na- anyway, about no, the game. Great name, Shane Fell. Because <laughs> yeah. Shane Fell, did he get up? Yeah, um, very good. I thought you were talking, saying he played under John Northey. Swooper. Yeah. Maybe. Tell I us about know. the game, quick. Uh, really? Yeah. I don't like, you know, sometimes when coaches get a sense that their currency is low, they really uh, embrace injuries because it gives them an out, you know, and, and Luke Beveridge was very happy to talk about Eastern Wood. Now that's probably him for the season, 10 minutes after the game. So, and I've seen coaches do this before. Every half niggle, migraine or, you know, dandruff will be, players will be sidelined and, you know, given early baths for the year and taking early operations because it really protects the coach and the coaching staff from any criticism. I criticise that coaching staff and that selection committee, whoever they put on the field, any week because you know what? You don't need injuries to have this sort of side that you'll probably play against North Melbourne. You would have done that without injuries, Luke. North will win and the Bulldogs will remain light years away from the premiership team of two years ago. I think um, 
I think North have got their challenges too, just quietly. I think uh, losing Jared Waite with a calf injury and a reoccurring calf injury, and he's going to be handled conservatively. I think there's some ramifications there because he's been great support for Ben Brown. Uh, I did the numbers on this the other day, um, or yesterday actually, that in the games Waite hasn't been there, particularly the last two weeks, Brown has really struggled. Mm. They kicked 21 goals against Brisbane and Brown only kicked two. And uh, they only kicked eight goals in total against the Cats, and he was scoreless. Uh, very well held by Mark Blitzovs. But clearly, um, you know, Wake takes some defensive attention that uh, when he's not there, they can concentrate everything on Ben Brown. As good a player as he is, I think that's a challenge that they have to address. Having said all that, Bulldogs have got no players left. I, I think the Roos have to win. They've got a couple of players coming back, though. Marcus Adams, I think, played in the VFL. Uh, he's a good defender. He's back. Norton might be back soon. So. Okay, so you're not tipping him though, right? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, north for both of us there. And, uh, oh, yes, it's another one of those. No matter where they are on the ladder clashes, Sunday afternoon at the G, 3.20 p.m., Collingwood Carlton, and unfortunately, another one of those Collingwood Carlton games where one of them's going all right and the other one can barely fire a shot. Uh, probably fair to say, on the basis of last games, the most informed side in the competition playing the almost most out of form side in the competition. Uh, is it? Can you see anything other than a um, smacking? Yeah, look, there was a point a few years ago, honestly, where Collingwood Carlton games you'd throw away the form guide because there was such a build-up to them and they meant something. There's no build-up anymore, is there? After 15 years of mediocrity and irrelevance, I really finally feel that these games hold nothing in terms of rivalry, in terms of importance to the fans. The fans don't feel it. The players don't feel it. This game will go by the script. Collingwood will beat Carlton because the day's... You know, even the days of players coming into the rooms and, you know, pumping up, we never lose. That, that's lost its meaning. Yeah. I'm talking a decade and a half yeah. of a decade and a half of undoing what was once the greatest rivalry in football has finally come to its, it's come to its uh, logical final, conclusion. Correct. Final stop. At, you know, on on the line, and that is, this game doesn't mean anything more than any Collingwood versus Gold Coast game, or Carlton versus Hawthorne game, or North. It's Collingwood, the better team. Yep, no, I agree with that. Uh, sad, really, because it, it it has been a great rivalry, but uh, unfortunately, there's got to be some level of performance to keep any rivalry afloat. Uh, Blues couldn't be worse, and they played in that first half against Freo. That was just exquisitely bad. Got to find something, surely. But Pies in really good form. Uh, finals bound. You'd think uh, they win pretty well. All right, uh, we're going to bring it home now. On Footyology, never again. Okay, um, I sort of feel like playing a bit of a funeral dirge over my one finding because it's with great sadness that I say I feel at this stage that never again will I read a really good piece on an AFL player. And it just struck me the other day. I was just going through the papers and online and whatever. It's, no one's doing good profiles on players anymore. And I don't know if it, lack of availability is an issue or um, 
I tend to think it's got as much to do with everyone out chasing the latest um, sort of inconsequential bit of news that disappears five minutes after it's been written, you know, breathlessly announcing something that uh, is pumped up as a big story for all of half a day and then gets overtaken by something else. And no one's sort of sitting back and putting much time into really nice, well-written, well-researched um, profiles on players. And uh, it's a real shame because I, I think that probably going back 10 years or so, uh, you know, from, say, 15 to 10 years ago, that became a really big currency. And someone wrote, and I'm talking particularly the two major newspapers here, if someone wrote a really good profile on a player, everyone would remember it. You know, I know people would say, oh, yeah, I really like that piece you wrote two years ago on a player. But with myself now, I'm thinking about great profiles I've read on players recently, and I I can count them on the – well, I can't count them because I can't think of any. And I just think it's really sad. So never again. I hope it's not never again, but I fear that it is. Just on that, and I'm not – making light of what I'm about to say. I actually really mean it. Unless you're a Brownlow medal favourite, you do not want to open up the paper and say, see a double-page spread on you because it probably means that you've got a very ill family member or a family member that's passed away. Unless a player, unless some journalist is, you know, first to find out about a, a personal family tragedy... They're not interested. You know, there's no every player has an interesting story. Yeah, no, no, you're right, you're right. It's a real it's, it's, that has become a ghoulish. real currency, hasn't it? Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah. I don't I I hear your sadness and I not only do I echo it, I'm thankful that you exist. <laughs> Thank you, Fine. Well you can still write one for well, me. Like likewise. Uh all I'm right, not gonna write one for you. <laughs> what's it no, I meant likewise I'm thankful you exist. Uh, what's your never again? Never again to three or four of my mates who did what they should know they should never do. And that is, you're having trouble with the mic. Uh, what they should never do is the three-quarter time tweet. So I saved oh, a few Early of them. crow? Well, sort of early, early doom. So this one from a mate of mine called Bomber Mitchell. This is the, uh, I don't, he, he used the term F. Arkin. Worst St Kilda team in 50 years. This is at three-quarter time in the Gold Coast game. Uh, then from another uh, fan, St Kilda fan, who I go to the football with, Shoz, Tatar Richo, leave him on the Gold Coast. And then Ross Flegeltor bought in with, this is unbearable. Was he talking? He's got to go. But oh, because when you said he's unbearable, I thought he might have been talking about his kidney stones. He said, he said, said, uh, and I hope you're recovering, Ross, if you're listening. Well, maybe they've got to go refer to the kidney stones. (laughs) I didn't buy into any of this. I still gave us a fleeting chance. No, I didn't. I just couldn't be bothered responding. But I tended to agree with all of them. Do not tweet at three quarter time, unless you, you know, if you're within six goals, don't tweet. That's my never again. All right, no, fair enough. Uh, very ably put. Um, all right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, enjoy. Because you know what? It's fucking stupid.
That's, Very good. That's what the bloke, that's the word he used. There's a Pavlovian response that goes on with us too, Fanny, which is that every time I try to wrap something up, you take that as a cue to come in with something. But I like it. It's usually, it's almost always good value. No, I'm joking. No, no. All right. Enjoy your footy, everyone. Uh, enjoy the World Cup too. We like to uh, encourage the uh, cross-pollinisation of football codes on this show. We'll see you soon.